views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Many of you have noticed we have started an amazing new series. It's called our Creating a Better World series. And I've had the honor and pleasure of interviewing people from all over the world doing some of the most incredible things. So stay tuned, fasten your seatbelt, and here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. This is one of our great good news segments. Joining us here today is going to be Jody Grant and Sage Learn. Jody is the executive director of After School Alliance, and Sage is a senior director of Government Relations Boys and Girls Club of America. Today's segment is called Lights on after school. After school programs across the country keeps kids safe. It inspires them to learn and give working parents peace of mind that their children are safe and learning after the school day ends and until parents return home from their jobs. You know, the other thing I want to say about this is that, you know, growing up in New York City, we had an after-school program, but we didn't call it like that. You know, we had a place, though, where I could go and I could spend time after school and do things that were creative and make sure that while my parents were not available for me, that I was there doing something constructive instead of being out on the streets in New York. I think this is one of the most important things we can do in our country. Since 2005, Jody Grant has been the executive director of the After School Alliance, a nonprofit public awareness and advocacy organization working to ensure that all children and youth have access to quality, affordable, after-school programs. Jody graduated from Yale with honors and received her law degree from Harvard University. She currently serves on the board of Partners for Livable Communities and is trustee of America's Promise. She lives with her husband and two children in Bethesda, Maryland. Sage joined the Boys and Girls Club of America in 2015 and is responsible for providing ongoing leadership in the planning and implementation of work-related to BGCA government relations policy and advocacy efforts. So her advocacy portfolio includes, but as most of us say, not limited to education, health, nutrition, safety, character development, and native issues. 13 years of government relations experience prior to BGCA working as government affairs manager with the National Recreation and Park Association. They are both here today to help us understand what Lights On After School is about, how important is it, and what's happening in the state that you live in. 
I told you this was coming. This is one of the most important of all, really of all of the segments that I've done are good news segments. This one is super important. You just heard me introduce, you know, both Jody and Sage, but here's what I want to say about this. I wasn't kidding when I said to you that back when I went to school, we didn't quite have this uh, lights on after school program in the way we're talking about it, but we did have a program where I grew up in the Bronx and you've heard me talk about the neighborhood I grew up. Up with. And I'm saying that because of these programs, most of us have gotten to live a long life. These are important for people in so many ways. It's not just about keeping our kids safe, but it's about encouraging them to inspire them to learn and give working parents a peace of mind because no parent wants to hear that phone ring that all you hear next is, I'm calling you about your child. So this is exciting. I didn't know that we have had two people so active in this, but today it's all about lights on after school. Jody Sage, great to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate being here. Okay, so listen, you know, we've got an important day coming up here, lights on after school. First, let's start with the question. Let's educate all of us, right, what lights on after school is about, because this launched in 2000. There may be some people that know about it, but we all get confused. Um, I would love to hear first from Jody, your perspective on what this is and what it means to you. And then Sage, from your perspective. Um, So this is our 18th year of Lights On After School, and Lights On After School is a nationwide celebration to really shine a light on all of the incredible things that are happening at today's after-school programs, because they are far more sophisticated than most people can possibly imagine. And as you said, you know, of course we're keeping kids safe, but kids are learning skills that are going to last them a lifetime and really help them succeed. So our our chance with Lights On After School is to shine a light on the 10.2 million kids that are in after-school programs to let the public, policymakers, the media, local leaders understand what's happening in these programs, but also at the same time to remind people that for every child that is in an after-school program, we've got two more that want to be in programs. And because they can't afford it or it's not available in their Um, community, they're missing out. And so we want to build more support for more government investments and more private investments for the kids who can't afford um, programs to be able to attend them. Wow. You know, I didn't even know that. I mean, this is why I said I really needed to hear from each of you about your perspectives, because the bottom line is when we hear something like this, we think, oh, yeah, everybody, let's do it. Yeah. And to find out that there isn't enough to go around is why I'm passionate about doing this show. Sage, how about you? What's your perspective? What's your passion about this? Well, and really the second what Jody said, and they've been a fantastic partner, uh, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, both in Seattle, King County, the Boys and Girls Clubs of King County are very active and we have 4,300 clubs across the country. It really is about providing access to all youth. Uh, We tend to be low cost or no cost. But it is those leveraging both those government and private dollars so that we can serve even more youth and continue that low-cost, no-cost model. Uh, and at the clubs, 
kids are receiving a holistic experience. It's really everything from homework help, tutoring, academic enrichment, science and math. Uh, under that, they're doing things like robotics, coding, some really innovative things, and the physical activity and character development, and all in a fun environment so that the kids want to come back, they want to learn, and they've got trusted adults and mentors there to work with. I got to tell you, I, we don't talk enough about character development, but I will tell you that my... <laughs> I hate to admit this, but my after school, uh, and honestly, I'm one of those people that I had to have some after school attendance like right through high school, just saying right there. Um, But my experience with that taught me some basic skills. The other thing I want to say about this that's so important, there's a level of confidence building that happens that I don't know how to talk about, but I was a kid that stuttered. Here I am today. Are you kidding me? And what happens in those formative years is beyond anything that I can explain. So can you tell us what the after-school programs, what's important to know, and what support is provided? What's given to students? What's given to families? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because we, we talk in terms sometimes of like, big numbers, right? 11 Mm -hmm. million kids unsupervised after school. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, the miracle of after school is that it's really geared towards each individual child. And for some kids, like they're doing great things and they'd probably be okay without it. But for some kids, it is life altering. And this opportunity to be in a comfortable, safe place where you get out of your comfort zone, where you try new things, where you do public speaking, um, you know, for, for many kids like that, what they're doing outside of school is what's going to shape who they are as adults. Um, so it, it really is, you know, a lifetime transformation. And, um, you know, Sage can talk about some of the specific programming um, because it's different in every community. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I live in the Seattle area now, but, you know, you're talking to a girl that was, you know, listen, PS 14 in the Bronx, Junior High School 101, Plainfield High School in New Jersey. So, you know, although I live here today, I have a deep appreciation for these kids wherever they live. And I'd love to hear more about the program. Sage. Yeah, and you know, and the Boys and Girls Clubs of King County are very active, doing yes. innovative things on the ground. Um, you know, and I think it's it's the holistic experience about providing everything a kid needs, kind of wraparound services, but really looking at it in three key areas: it's improving academic success, building their character and leadership skills, and increasing health and fitness. And just one of the the things that I think King County is doing a really fantastic job on is workforce development and actually uh, helping prepare kids for both career and college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was looking at, well, first of all, let let me just stop for a minute because I could get way like crazy passionate about this. And I want to stop for a minute because we're talking about things that are readily available on a website for people to look not only at what's going on and what we're talking about today, but they can look up their state. So can we stop for a minute and just let folks know right now, okay, how can they find out more? And then I want to talk about some of the information here. You know, that's great. And in fact, um, it's it's really important because um, your listeners can change the world. And our website, www.afterschoolalliance.org, everyone can be part of the solution, whether it's attending a Lights On After School program, whether it's using social media, and we have lots of examples like Facebook and tweets to to showcase Lights On After School in the event, or whether, and this is really important, it's reaching out to your local, state, and federal leaders 
and policymakers to let them know that you care about investments in after school because we faced the complete elimination of federal funding for after school earlier this year. And it was saved because people spoke out, people wrote their members of Congress and, you know, huge bipartisan support um, not to eliminate the program um, in response to people, real people calling in and having their voices be heard. Yeah, I, I want to say this about speaking out. I think that what we're learning is that we can no longer sit in the backfield, you know, be second string in the lives of our children and the kind of support. You know, we got to get to the front line on the bench, get in the game and make sure uh, you could tell I'm really gl- I'm, I'm kind of glowing in the Seattle Seahawks win the other night. But <laughs> <laughs> I just had a moment right there. Um, but this I'm from is the, real. From- you too? I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so I'm with you. I'm a Seahawks fan. Okay, that's it, right? Um, But this is really where we're looking at educating people and saying, you got to get involved in this. You know, don't wait for the funding to disappear. So we're also encouraging people to participate in Lights On After School. What is it that people should know about the call to action? Because when I went and I looked at Washington State, there were some areas where we're doing pretty good, but there were other areas. Areas where I was like, you got to be kidding me. 333,000 are waiting for a program. I'm like, what? And I, I don't yeah. think any of us really understand that this is really true. I think we think it's all good and it's all taken care of. Can you please give us an update on what we as participants, as citizens should really know about the action we need to take? Yeah, well, and you have over 200,000 kids in Washington that when that school bell rings today, they're going to have nothing to do, alone yeah. and unsupervised. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, so it's exactly what you said. People need to speak out. They need to say, we want these programs. People need to realize, like, if you're a parent, obviously parents want them for their kids, but you're for an employer. You want your employees to have it for their kids because they're going to be better employees, and you want kids um, to be the workers and be prepared for the future. And the skills that they're learning in these programs are the skills that are going to help them succeed, whether it's, you know, the coding or the robotics or, um, you know, learning to be a leader, learning to collaborate, all of that comes together for, you know, success later in life. And and the flip of that is for the kids that, that don't have these resources, they're much more likely to get into trouble with the law. They're much more likely to experiment with drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, more likely to be spending a lot of time um, staring at screens and maybe inappropriately using social media. Um, and that comes at a great cost to society. You know, it's, um, if you look at the cost to incarcerate a kid versus to put them in after school, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of dollars in difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Pete, also recognizing yeah, some of the leaders in the state, like Senator Patty Murray, who yeah. has been a champion around after school and thanking her and asking her to keep that support up. I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, and we can't say that louder, loud enough here. I mean, a lot of us are recognizing what she's doing right now in Washington, D.C., and what she's doing to really bring some new views about care to the forefront. I mean, she is an advocate and has been for a really long time. Um, and you're right about that. Every once in a while, instead of writing people and saying, oh, my gosh, why did you do that? It's like, thank you for this. But the other thing is people can donate. And I want to just make sure we talk about that right now. 
Well, um, yes, and and it's so important because we need government dollars and we need private dollars. And so, you know, people can donate um, dollars if they have it. People can donate time if they have it. And Sage can talk about what Boys and Girls Clubs do. Good. Yeah, absolutely. The Both of the government and the private sources are important for making sure that we can leverage the programs and serve even more youth. Uh, and so for Boys and Girls Club America, you can get more resources and information on bgca.org. Yeah, I, I want to make sure everybody knows how to do that and how to find that information because we're talking about a partnership here, correct? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about is um, in this partnership, if you don't mind, I know we've got like about a minute left. I want to know what the top issues are for each of you. If you were had to say to people, I want to tell you this one and two thing, thing one, thing two, please pay attention to this. Please, what would it be? I think that's a tough question. I think for me, just uh, folks really understanding all the wraparound services that clubs really do provide. I mean, I think we kind of focus on uh, the big things are keeping young people safe, providing opportunities for improving academic success, character and leadership development skills, and increasing health and fitness. I think those are the things that help set them up for a, a positive role in life. And I would say, and I think I'm echoing what Sage is saying, is um, I would hope that everybody, whether it's in person or through the media, really had a chance to go visit one of these high-quality after-school programs because it will blow your mind. I think most people do not understand the kinds of learning and interaction that are happening at today's programs. And when you see it, you, you get it, and you get how we are really – taking kids and giving them opportunities that they didn't have before. And the, the opportunity gap is growing and growing in America. And if we want to be strong, mm-hmm. we need all of our students to have these opportunities. And, you know, one last stat, because this one just blows me away, yeah. um, which is, you know, when we think about our military in America, yeah. 71% of 17 to 24-year-olds are not eligible for our military. Mm. And if they're not eligible for the military, who knows what else they're really not eligible for. And the three reasons they're not eligible for the military are because they can't pass the academic test, which is something that after-school programs help them with, because they can't pass a physical test, and of course they're getting physical activities in after-school programs, or because they have a criminal record, which we know kids Mm -hmm. in after-school are much more likely to get into trouble with the law, or it can even be an alternative to incarceration. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the military is is just one example, but 71% it's staggering what we're doing to our youth. Um, and mm. through after school, we can do better. Yeah. I just want to say, um, you may not know this because, you know, the listeners actually named the show The Dr. Pat Show. It wasn't called that <laughs> until my second year. I never told anybody I had a doctorate. And I'll tell you why. I am considered in today's world learning different. Now, you know that that's not what they called it back in the day. They were like, you had a learning disability. You're really slow. That was me. And these programs not only build up confidence, but in a case like mine, they help you put a sentence together so that you can write a resume. And, you know, for me, I can't emphasize and thank you both enough for all the gazillion interviews you're doing, because if there were a time we needed to get the word out, it's now. Our young people are our future, and we need to invest in them like we do in our own 401k. So thank you both for today. Well, thank you for giving us a chance to talk about it.
Thank you. We appreciate you having us on. Yeah, I hope you guys will come back and talk a little bit more because these 15-minute things, they're just scratching the surface. So thank you both. We would be thrilled to anytime. Awesome. We're happy to do it. <laughs> you, you heard it here, everybody. They're going to come back. All right. Thank you both. <laughs> Have a great day. We're going to take a short Thank break, you. everyone. Yep, just tip of the iceberg, but go into afterschoolalliance.org. Figure out what's going on in your backyard. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. I am so thrilled to have Commander Denise Rowan joining us here today, elected national commander of the two million member American Legion. This is something that for many of you out there, this is quite an accomplishment, but that actually piles to what Commander Rowan's message is today. Today, it's about family first. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out here now. U.S. Army veteran Denise Rowan promotes family first. Commander Rowan, great to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's great to be with you today. What amazing accomplishment your life as I think about it and what you've achieved. And, you know, I, I, I think to, for me to actually be being able to say, Commander Rowan, that is an accomplishment in itself. So thank you for your service. Um, well, thank you. Family first is equally important, isn't it? It is. And when I look at um, our military families, uh, so those of us who have served, uh, when we left home to go to basic training, we found that we had a new family during basic training because we needed to support and take care of each other during that process. So we got new brothers and sisters in basic training, and then we went on to a new duty station, and we again found another family while we were there. And um, from location to location where our military personnel go, they find that they have new new family members, new people they need to depend on, just like a family. And when we got out of the military and my husband and I landed in a town that we weren't originally from, we found our new sense of community within the American Legion family of the Legion, our auxiliary, our sons of the American Legion, our Legion riders. And then as we are, 9-11 happened and we're going to deployment ceremonies with our National Guard and Reservists and we're talking to them and we're saying, what can we do to make sure that you have one less worry while you're on the battlefield? Their answer is always, take care of my family first. So that's what the American Legion really is all about. We're taking care of our veterans and their family, our military personnel and their families. And when you look at all of the mission of what the American Legion is all about and we make sure our children and youth are safe in this nation, I always look at it and say the American Legion family is taking care of our nation's families. And, and we just make sure that people feel like they're loved and supported across the communities because I believe that we're put on the earth to take care of one another and make sure that people can feel safe. Wow. You know what? I have to tell you, uh, this is for me, hearing you speak about this, you and I are uh, two peas in a pod, as my folks like to say. Um, and that is because I do think we've been put on earth to take care of each other. Otherwise, Commander, you'd have been given your planet and not have been given mine. Um, it, but that's not it. And, you know, for me, I, I think about my family and, you know, uh, my relatives, people that served. And what I discover is exactly what you said. You know, they're finished. There they are. They end up at a place they're not quite sure about. But there is a camaraderie that is important to understand. More importantly, though, is there are things that show up after service that if you're not in service, you don't have a clue about. But that doesn't mean that we still don't, you know, help 
families and family first and try to figure out new ways to understand how everyone can thrive, Commander, everyone. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why this coming Veterans Day and, you know, every day of the year, I'm asking and encouraging American Legion posts across the nation to open their doors to the community and invite the community in. Uh, not only will the community be able to see what we're doing within the American Legion and, and all of the services that we provide the community, but we do, we have that sense of camaraderie. And there may be veterans out there or veterans family members who need that extra support of people who understand, understand what they've been through and are willing to actually sit down and listen and listen with that, that ear and the, the mindfulness that somebody might be having some problems and they need to get the help. And through the American Legion family, through that listening, uh, we can get people the help they may need. Or if it's just a matter of somebody to support them for one day that they may be having a difficult time, that's what we do. We make sure that we're there for them, just like we want our family to be treated. You know, we have a a network here. Um, I know that you're calling in for a very specific station, but I am the owner of the Transformation Network, and we have the ability to implement multiple channels. As a matter of fact, we have 10 channels uh, right now. Um, One of my friends said to me, Pat, when are you going to put a channel dedicated for voices that have served. And it's on our agenda to do for 18, a channel where you and many, many people may be able to have their own radio shows because this is more than an important conversation for me. You know, for the work that I've done, the volunteer work that I've done, the questions I'm getting now, Commander, maybe you can help with this, is how do I help my brothers and sisters that are on the street that are homeless? And being homeless myself, I know what this means, but also how do we handle the worry about health care, about are we going to be cared for? Are you addressing these type of issues? We are addressing those types of issues, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask listeners to go to our website, which is legion.org, and you can read all kinds of information about how we are helping uh, on the healthcare issue. Uh, we are we are doing our best to help, to hold our our legislators feet to the fire to make sure that veterans get the healthcare they need. Uh, those veterans who live in rural areas uh, who are worried about the distance they may have to travel to get to a VA hospital, um, that they can get care in their local communities through the VA healthcare system. Uh, those veterans who are living on the street, yes, we're very concerned about them. And of course, the veteran suicide rates, which all comes from the fact of, you know, people just not feeling like they're connected like they should be. Uh, as far as homelessness goes, uh, there's a lot of veterans who have or get out of service and they, they just didn't connect to the community, which is where we're opening our Legion homes and saying, hey, come come talk to us and learn more about us. But the American Legion is holding job fairs across the nation to yep. help veterans get jobs. Mm-hmm. And we're also helping um, helping with making sure that people get connected with the health care that they need. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why people may be living on the street. And, and we're just there to help them get that mm-hmm. connection. The American Legions across the nation have, uh, they're called service officers, and those service officers are there uh, for veterans to come in and talk to them and say, you know, if you have some benefits that you, you deserve, that you earned while you were serving, we're, we're there to help you get your claims filed, to get that process taken care of. Um, and really, we're there to listen and, and get people pointed in the right direction. And again, legion.org is a, is a place to go, um, but we do, we, we're working hard with our legislators in Washington, D.C. to say, hey, veterans, we've served this nation. Uh, the American Legion is giving back, and the American Legion, through our service, 
is is giving back to the communities and and saving our our VA healthcare systems millions of dollars by our volunteer work that we're doing in the hospitals. So we're not really asking for a handout. We're saying, hey, mm-hmm. we served. Um, these are the things we're looking for. We're doing our part. Come on and do your part. And what we're we're excited to the fact that. When we do go to Washington and we talk to our legislators, that they are concerned about veterans' issues also, and they're putting aside their yeah. their necessary their parties, and they're working together to make sure veterans are taken care of. And in the last couple of months, uh, they have passed some pretty major pieces of legislation as far as veterans' issues go. Um, one of them being. They've they've enhanced the GI Bill uh, for veterans who go back to school, get get home loans, and all that good stuff. Uh, So they've enhanced the GI Bill. They've uh, President Trump during our national convention in August on stage signed an Appeals Modernization Act uh, to help the people who are trying to get their benefits and their for some reason or other, their claims are being held up to, to get that process going better. They signed into law an Accountability and Whistleblowers Protection Act so that those people who are working in the VA hospitals who see something that's not right can feel free to, to report that information. But I'm going to tell you, the VA, the people that I've seen who work in veterans' hospitals or veterans' health care systems, Everyone I have met is so happy and so proud to be part of the VA healthcare system and to be taking care of our veterans. And, and I have to commend them because nationwide, they're getting a, the, the hospitals are getting a bad rap. Yeah. But the people who are working in those hospitals, they care so much, and you can just tell it how much they care about our veterans when you go and actually talk to them and see them working. Not only do they care, I've never seen a more dedicated and commitment staff of people, um, especially when it comes to, you know, issues in psychology and that require just an enormous sense of, 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 of kindness as well as uh, 24-7, I'm there for you support. And so, yes, I echo that. That's uh, for, for many people listening, you know, there really is a solution and you're the one taking it out to the forefront. What would you believe that people listening right now, I know we only have a few minutes. What, what do you think that folks don't know much about and perhaps should? Wow, I just, in general, there's misconceptions about what the American Legion is all about and what we do. So, again, I encourage people to go to our our website, which is legion.org, and and read about us. But I also, I'm encouraging American Legion posts across the nation. Open your doors. Let people come in. Let them see the work you do. Uh, We have youth champions. We have have scholarships that we make sure that our youth are going to college. And um, there's amazing young men and women uh, boys and girls across this nation going through our school systems that you never hear about the good kids. Yeah. Uh, but we we have uh, boys' state, girls' state, uh, oratorical scholarship programs. Um, we have so many support networks that are going on that people just may not understand that. They may just think that, that we're just a bunch of veterans who get together and, and <laughs> spend time together and talk, and they're not realizing what, what we are giving back to our communities. Oh, yeah. No, I know. My uncle was a member for years and years and years up until his passing. And so, you know, many of us as kids marched in the parades for in the Bronx and New York. So um, there is some hard work, sweat and tears that you all show up and 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 demonstrate through your actions. So thank you for all that you do. I have one last question. What is your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? And again, please give out your contact information. 
Okay. So my personal message is, it is that family first message. It's about taking care of one another, helping to understand and actually stop and listen, listen to a veteran. Um, and if, if they appear to be needing help, get them the help they need. Um, treat each other like brothers and sisters. That's what we're here for. Our website is legion.org. It's very simple. It's the American Legion. It's just legion.org. Uh, go there. You can learn so much about the ways that we help each other. The American Legion, the American Legion Auxiliary, our Sons of the American Legion, and our American Legion Riders are in your communities willing to help. And I want to congratulate you on not only your service, but for you, the position you hold as the first woman to be elected to the top position of the nation's largest veterans organization during the American Legion's 99th National Convention. And so I love your theme, Family First. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It was an honor to be with you today. And for those of you out there, please, please not only keep in your memory what our nation's best have done to serve, but bring to the forefront a level of compassion and understanding that enables those that have served to excel just like you do. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. This is our good news segment. Um, Yeah. We're going to talk about happiness right now. Happiness expert Sean Aker joining me here today. And why is this important? I'll tell you why, because we've been talking about it for about two weeks now. Ways to find happiness during hectic holiday travel. And by the way, just hectic, period. So today, we are so thrilled to have Sean join us here today. Nationwide known positive psychology academic from Harvard, happiness researcher and speaker. He has become one of the world's leading experts on the connection between happiness and science and is the author of two New York Times bestsellers, The Happiness Advantage uh, and what? Before happiness. Uh, Sean, it's great to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I want to talk about this idea of travel during the holiday season. And everybody, you know, that that I think I know, and we talk about it on air, they're doing this 14 years, 14 years. Can you imagine? 14 years, every holiday season, this comes up. But what I love about this is now we know people have a a choice in this, don't we? I think you're right. So I'm a happiness researcher. I've been trying to figure out is if there's a science to uh, to raising people's levels of optimism or happiness and joy that they feel within their lives normally. But to do that, we couldn't do that research in a laboratory. We have to do that around a dinner table at Thanksgiving. <laughs> we have to do that while people are on planes, right, to figure out real happiness. And uh, so I've traveled to 50 countries over the past 12 years, and I do 110 trips every year. And in the midst of that, I've been trying to figure out travel and happiness at the same time myself. And so what we've been looking at, what, what is it that causes people to feel the least amount of joy? And then how do we actually disrupt that process? So we know that the greatest threat to people's happiness in the midst of a travel season is that sense that, that because it's hectic, it becomes stressful and then it bleeds away some of that happiness that we have. Um, so we've been looking at how do you transform stress that we know is going to be there. There's going to be more people traveling the this holiday season than in any time in human history. So what we've been looking at is how can we change that? One of the things I've done is I, I, I get delayed all the time on planes, right? <laughs> but I've actually, I used to get frustrated by it, but now I've, I've, I've got this thing where I got this stash of videos and podcasts, movies that I've been wanting desperately to watch. Like I've been waiting to watch the finale of the show called Westworld. I won't let myself watch it until my flight is delayed. So I never want my flight to be delayed, but I, 
kind of do right now because I really want to find out how the show ends. And so what would have been a moment where I was sat for three hours stewing about how my plane is delayed, instead I'm getting to watch something I've been so excited about. I've transferred a stress into a joy by simply planning for it and counterbalancing it with something positive. Or, you know, as I travel so much, I have a, I have a three-year-old son named Leo and I have a beautiful wife who's pregnant right now and I hate to be away from them. So I used to be so frustrated when I was traveling because I felt like I'm away from family. But what I did was I, I'm a researcher, researcher, so I looked to see all the hotels that have good reward programs. I found a, a travel rewards credit card from Bank of America so that every time I'm on, the, on a business trip away from family, when I spend money, I'm actually using that every dollar I spend there is a, a point and a half that I'm accruing to have a vacation with my son on a beach somewhere. So instead of my brain being stuck on a plane or on a business trip, my brain is actually sitting on a beach with my three-year-old digging in the sand with an excavator. So we've, we've taken what could have been a stressful moment and refocused the brain back onto the meaning of why we travel in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, too, to really look at the, you know, the research in, involved in this, you know, uh, uh, well, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, my research has to do with broken promises. So I wish I could, you know, be all happy about what I discover in my research. But one of the things that I do discover is kind of on the same plane you do. And that has to do with our ability to personally manage ourselves. And I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you about that. Um, whether it is a broken promise and uh, or it's studying happiness there's a level of personal management how can we learn this right i mean i'm assuming that you know some of your research has pointed to the fact that we can personally manage you know the way we're wiring that moment where we just go ballistic over the late plane right I think it's a great point because I think a lot of people feel like that they don't have any agency or that they can't change. Like I hear so many people say that they, you know, they're negative because they're, they're, parents were pessimists or their parents were depressed <laughs> and they have genes for pessimism, right? Like that there's, and we're taught that in school. We're taught you're, you are your genes and your environment. And so if you have genes that predispose you towards pessimism and you didn't get to pick your parents and it predisposes you towards depression and the environment's negative around you, then you have no, you're a victim. And what I think you're teaching and what I believe that this research shows is that actually while the environment and genes might be against you, they set the initial baseline. If you create positive ways that changes your habit patterns, change the way you interact with other people, change the way you think about the world, what we've been finding is we can take people who have been a pessimist, who always test pessimists, get them to scan the world for three things that they're grateful for on a daily basis to remind their brain to look for the positive. And we find out 21 days later, their brains are, are not testing as low-level pessimists, they're testing as low-level optimists on average. So the point of that, I think, is that exactly what you're saying. You don't have to just be your genes and your environment. Small positive habits of refocusing on the positive can actually break us out of that. And I love your work on broken promises because <laughs> what we're finding is a broken promise is a violation of that social contract we have with other people. And what is the greatest predictor of long-term happiness is social connection. So as we're dealing with a broken promise, what we need more than anything is that social connection to other people to be able to repair some of that loss that we're feeling in terms of our levels of happiness. So as we go through, you know, that promise, we even promise this to ourselves. Like, yeah. I, I promise this holiday season, I won't blow yeah. up at my in-law, right? And instead, we're seeing this as, a, I, if I'm feeling that, I don't yeah. want to... Uh, 
be pursuing happiness alone. We got to do it with other people. So I, yeah. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. And you know, what's interesting about it is, um, you know, and you know this and I know this is what you, what you put our, what you put your attention on really expands and grows for me. I mean, I have to read all your happiness books because I spend most of my time with, you know, thousands of pages of interview notes on people that have had their promises broken. So then I have to go get right. your book to remind myself that doesn't have to be me. But didn't Victor Frankel for the most part, I mean, I don't know. I, I love Victor Frankel. If he were here today, I'd say, Victor Frankel, I love you. Um, you know, yeah. his experience and being able to emerge from that, isn't that the pinnacle of what we're talking about today a bit? It is. I mean, that's a happiness expert. Somebody yeah. who could go through literally the worst possible environment where everyone else would say, you have the best excuses in the world for hating the world and being so negative, And yet you feel like that there's meaning and that you were trying to teach other people about seeing more meaning in their life. I think it's such a radical reminder that when we feel these disagreements within our life, when we have these broken promises, when mm -hmm. we feel stressed at work, when we see injustice in the world, that we have a choice about how we respond and we can choose to either feel like we're victims mm -hmm. of negative or we can choose to be like, I want to make this a better world and that there's meaning there and we can't miss out on it. Yeah. Sean, before we, I mean, you and I can go on for quite a bit because this is such an important, yeah. I believe it's an important conversation because your body of work right now, it doesn't just affect adults. It affects the entire generation of the people around us. How can people find out more about you and about this work and about what they might be able to do here? I think that's a great. So if you want to know more about the travel portion of it and creating greater happiness there, bankofamerica.com slash travel connected has all of that research about how you can reconnect to joy there. I wrote a book called the happiness advantage and that book outlines how we're not just our genes, our environment and how we can help people to pursue happiness while they're in school, while they're in the midst of the challenges yeah. they're experiencing, even in the midst of trauma to create a better, uh, a, a difference in their life and then a difference in their family's life. And, you know, can I ask you this? I want, I'm, I'm encouraging people to get out of the box. I'm not even saying think, think out of the box because, you know, if you're thinking out of the box, but you're still in the box, you're the box, mm, right? And, yeah. I mean, you got to do things that are going to help with this. You, you know, and it's not just us, it's our family. I mean, the whole holiday thing, I was stuck in an airport for like four hours and I decided to give a class, teach a class right there because I was just launching right. crust busting. And I walked around and I yeah. said, I'm going to teach a class how to get rid of negative beliefs over here in the corner. Anybody, if free, come over here. I'm going to have my laptop. We're going to have little worksheets for you because I was getting ready to go teach this class. Of course, I didn't make it, so I gave the class at the airport. But this is the way we've got to start to look at this because our kids are listening, aren't they? Our parents may be listening. What is your advice for people to say, listen, we can all do this. Clearly, you're, this is your body of work. What can we say to folks today? This is what you can do to get ready and be happy. Well, we know that the, the smallest intervention you can make in your own life to prove that you can change is that every day while you brush your teeth, think of three new things you're grateful for that have occurred over the past 24 hours. Because what we find is that dramatically improves people's levels of optimism. And when you see that effect upon your life, you actually realize you can change and that other people can change as well. And I hear after my talk so often, people say, you know, I didn't need to hear that. I'm already a happy person, but you can't change other people. And what I think is so beautiful about your story is you can change other people, right? Mm -hmm. You could have sat in that airport frustrated and alone, and instead you decided to improve people's lives and to connect to them. And I think that's what we need to be looking for in our lives and role modeling for our kids that if I choose the great, a grateful route, if I choose, choose social connection, this is going to be a better world.
And, you know, we're not, I don't think you're saying, and I know, I know your work, and certainly I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we don't get situations in life. I mean, are you kidding? Yes. You know, mother yeah. committed suicide. I was homeless at 17. So we get situations. But can you tell us in this last question, because I know you got to run, how can we avoid becoming our situation? Hmm. I would say, I think related to this, I think that the opposite, I think it's crucial. The opposite of happiness isn't unhappiness. I think unhappiness fuels great change because it tells you when you're in the wrong relationships, when the job isn't right, when you're doing something unethical, right? So if you're feeling those negative feelings, don't just sweep those away. Yes, that relationship has been bad or this world has been unjust or there's a discrimination that's occurring there. But in the midst of that, what, the, what we are actually fighting against is apathy, which is the loss of joy you feel moving towards your potential. If you feel like you can't do anything about it, that's the part we need to break. So take one step right now, see if that positive step actually seems to have an effect upon your life and your brain is more likely to take the next step and the next step. And you walk yourself out of that learned helplessness to a place where you realize how powerful we are to make positive change to the place where people are giving classes to people at an airport while delayed. I mean, I think that that reminds us that whatever's happening in our life, we can make positive happen. And Viktor Frankl is a perfect example of that. And so are you. Sean, thank you for today. One last question. I'd love for you to, again, give out your information, give out the Bank of America information and personal message. What would you like to leave us with today? Sure. The website is bankofamerica.com slash travel connected. My book is called Happiness Advantage. You can find it anywhere. And all my research while it's on happiness really comes down to the fact that change is possible. You're not just your genes and your environment. You make positive changes. It creates an incredible effect upon your life. And then it's contagious to other people. And what you'll learn from Sean, everybody, is you can do this now. You don't have to wait for holiday the week before, the day before, the day after your New Year's resolutions. Sean's work will allow you, enable you, empower you, and catapult you to bring happiness into your life right now. Sean, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. You as well. Let's take a short break, everybody. I'm happy. Are you? We'll be right back. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our good news segment. I am really thrilled to have Adina Renee Adler joining us here today. As I said before, uh, we are talking today on China Ban on Scrap Imports could limit recycling options for Americas. You know, what what is it and how does it work? What are these restrictions and what is the devastating impact we're going to talk about today? Because believe it or not, you know, scrap recycling is an industry and a pretty dang big, big one. Uh, joining us here today is someone that knows a bit about this. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. You know, let's give our, our, our listeners a little information about the background and the backdrop on this, um, because folks just don't get how big this industry is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our industry supports, directly and indirectly, about half a billion jobs here in the United States. And uh, we contribute about $117 billion economic impact uh, to the U.S. economy. So it's, it's pretty large. And we Americans are, are very good recyclers. And so we collect about 130 million metric tons of scrap uh, from homes, offices, and factories. And that, that amount is so big that we can't actually use all of it in the United States. So about a third of it has to be exported. 
Um, you, you know, I think this is kind of a, an interesting question for people that are looking for how do we look at the recycling industry and this country uh, in particular, but what are we doing to, you know, enter the age of repurposing things? And I, I would love to know about what some of the statistics and information might be for our listeners. I mean, clearly, uh, we are creating jobs, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. As I said, I mean, um, that that number of jobs that I uh, cited earlier, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I always say it's an about figure, but yeah. it's at least 30 to 40,000 more than it was last year. So I... we're definitely generating many more jobs. And, and many of uh, the members of the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industry are not only the processors of the materials, mm-hmm. but we do have refurbishers and, and repurposers and, 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 you know, we have traders and all kinds of things. These are com- commodities that are globally traded. Mm -hmm. Um, And for that reason, we need a whole lot of people to be able to work in our industry. Well, let me ask you this question, because I think this, again, I'm going to mention this as a little known fact, and that is China's role. Can you talk about that? I mean, clearly we hear about China doing this, China does this, China's leading this area, but this is an area I don't think many people really know about. Right. As I said, because we can't use all of the materials that we generate here domestically, we Mm -hmm. do have to export. And we do actually export to 150 different markets around Mm -hmm. the world. But 40% of what we export goes to China alone. I mean, their their manufacturing sector of the last five to 10 years really kind of drove that demand because they understand and they value these important commodities in their manufacturing process. Um, And so it's been an important market for our industry for a long time. Uh, But they have an environmental crisis on their hands. And Mm -hmm. uh, this summer, they announced that they're going to ban certain kinds of plastic and paper uh, from being uh, from being imported into China because of perceptions of um, these materials polluting their area, which is not entirely true. But Mm -hmm. it's just one way that they feel like they want to manage that. Um, so the question always is, what is the ripple effect? Meaning, what is the ripple effect back to us as a country? But then you break it down into states, then you break it down into lo- local municipalities. Can you explain the ripple effect for folks? Yeah, because so many materials were bound for this one country, when this one country makes a decision, it is going to have an impact on on generally global trade of and so what we're seeing at the local at the local level um, is we do we have heard of a few municipalities, including in Washington State, that have had, that have announced that they are no longer going to accept plastic uh, bottles um, in their recycling streams, which unfortunately means they'll be bound for landfills. Um, mm. And we certainly don't want that to happen. But in the short term. Um, you know, these materials would just pile up if they don't have a market to go to. Um, So you're seeing around the country various different ways that municipalities are reacting. Uh, I think that's the most sort of extreme of saying, sorry, we can't recycle some of these things. But there are others that are um, just doing a better job at sorting um, and also getting information out to our families about what can and cannot be recycled and Mm -hmm. how do you just take a second to wash out your applesauce jar to make Mm -hmm. sure that there isn't any food residue left that could inadvertently uh, contaminate the newspapers that you throw into your bin. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I am from the... uh 
amazing state of New Jersey. And as a matter of fact, when I worked for the phone company, we did, we incorporated the first paper recycling in the state through a character called the Purple Paper Eater. But one of the things Mm. that I discovered in New Jersey is that we agonized initially over what we had to do to recycle. And and this was a real mystery to me when I moved to the West Coast. It was like in New Jersey, not only did you have to peel the labels off of things, that the people that picked up the products were very aware of whether or not you actually did that. And you could get in trouble. You, you could get in trouble for that. And, and it's just not consistent across the United States. I think New Jersey has one of the strictest uh, guidelines for recycling. Is this something that we need to really look at in more detail and get a little stronger in that for the states? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that just starts with, as I said, just making sure that the households understand what they should or should not be doing, you know, yeah. uh, within their walls. And, um, but also, uh, you hit it. I mean, in the United States, there are over 10,000 different municipalities and they have about 10,000 different ways of, uh, sorting materials and handling the recyclables and all that. Yeah. And so, you know, how do we, how do we just make sure that we're, we're recycling what can be recycled? How do we take a minute to clean things? Mm-hmm. Um, but our industry also, we're innovators and, and we are developing new technologies to be able to better handle these materials to better process them, make sure they get the, into the manufacturing streams and all that. And so I think, you know, even with what's happening in China, it's just sort of a drive towards making sure that materials are cleaner um, so that more of it uh, can eventually end up in a recycling process. Do you see the the future of recycling as being an industry that masters the art of repurposing materials? Because I think that's ultimately what people are looking for. They're saying, wait a minute, pretty much everything I throw out, somebody should be able to figure out how to bring it back even better. Um, Is that kind of innovation happening anywhere? Definitely. And, it, you know, we are a global industry. And, and so there are a number of different um, places in the world, for example, in Europe. I mean, they, 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 it's a much smaller mass of land. And so they really have very limited landfill space. And so they are mandating that every, you know, thing that isn't basically a solid waste or, you know, rubbish, um, you know, should be recycled in some way and reused. And I think that that movement is happening in the United States too, because of that technological development. I mean, we're starting to see sporting equipment and park benches and, um, you know, even uh, new construction of homes and buildings that are using um, materials uh, from those recycling streams. Um, and, and so, you know, it, when, and, and, and it needs, you know, the better education, you know, back to the household so that you understand, if you understand that full manufacturing process, that you're not just separating materials in your home, but it actually goes somewhere and is actually used, um, you know, then we'll be able to capture even more. And, and as you said, there will be new technology to be able to recycle what, you know, stuff that hadn't been recycled ever before. Mm-hmm. What are you most optimistic about? And please, how can people find out more? Yeah, I am optimistic that um, if 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 we all understand, you know, how better to just 
you know, like I said, take a second to just clean out the jars, clean out the soda cans, make sure that the paper is clean, uh, your Amazon boxes are flattened out. You know, that means that, you know, instead of just capturing 30% um, of what you recycle, maybe we can capture 60 to 70%. Um, and so that much more goes in. And I think that that movement is starting to happen. So I am optimistic uh, that there will be more recycling. But we have a ton of information on our website, www.isri.org. Everything you've ever wanted to know about recycling, including commodity markets, materials to educate our children in the schools, what can and can't be recycled, how materials recovery facilities can do better to process this materials, all of that is on our website. Awesome. Thank you so much for today and thank you so much for all that you do. I appreciate you having me on the line. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, thank you for all of the above. And uh, boy, keep doing the good things you're doing. <laughs>